that will begin to open and open and open and open, and you will move very quickly into those realms of spirit where simplicity and love reside. And you will find that it will be very easy if you hold to a point of intention to rise above all these other elements of self, from the instinctual self through all these other realms of self, and ever rise up to the God inside of you first. Remember, the first place we find God is here at the seat of the soul where the soul does dwell. That divine spark that resides in us, that is truly the spirit of us, is the Lord. God created and out of God came all things, including us, us the soul. And so the first thing we want to do is realize that we're going to wake up to God here first. And so we want to hold our intention here first and wake up to God and not have anything before God at this level of our being. Now, I can remember when I sat down to begin meditating years ago, I got very discouraged with my meditation for two reasons. One, when I would set an intention and I would begin to go inside to find the Lord, all I found was darkness. I couldn't see God. Well, I thought, well, you know, I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to set my intention, and God's going to be right there, and it's just going to be that simple. Well, I didn't find God that quick at that level. I found darkness first. And as I sat there, I began to find myself getting discouraged day in and day out, not seeing, not hearing, not experiencing, and wondering, well, what is this all about? If I'm meditating and if I'm really setting an attention on God, where are you, God? Why aren't you showing up? Why am I not seeing you? Why am I not hearing you? Why am I not experiencing something? Why am I in this just as quiet and nothing else? And all of a sudden I realized that in the quiet and in the nothingness is where I was going to find God. It was first in that quiet and in the nothingness that I had to move into. That was the beginning of moving into that simple place, that simplicity. And so as I began to realize that and relax into that first space of simplicity, there was a, a flash of light. And I went, oh, well, for me, I always find that when I'm meditating, and the moment I go, oh, my mind is now kicked in and it's going, what was that? Where'd that come from? How do I get that to happen again? And now my intention is not on God. It's on, oh, I want that experience again. Where did that come from? I've got to figure this out. How did I do that? And so I found that the next thing for me to do was just to relax and to hold to that simplicity not to get distracted once again and get caught back up in the mind level or into the emotional mind or into any other mind level of myself, but rather to stay simple, to stay neutral, to stay quiet, to not be active or reactive in this place of being with God, but just to be with God. And so I found the easiest way for me to do that was just to sit and say, Lord, I love you. I love you. And I am opening to receive your loving, so that as I give, so shall I receive. And whatever there is that's blocking me in my receiving or in my giving, I just ask for your assistance, that your loving come and lift up any and all things that are between me and you, that I love you and you love me, and I live in the knowing of that, in the being of that, in the doing of that, in the experience of that. And I just am ever focusing on loving with God. And when I chant the name of God inside, I have the intention that every time I say the name of God inside, it's me loving God. And I'm just loving God and loving God and loving God and when it comes quiet inside, 
I am now receiving from God. I'm listening. And as I'm listening, I hear the sound or I see the light of God come in. And that's God's love being shared with me. And I may feel it come in and move through my consciousness or I may feel that love pull me all the way up and out into itself so that I live in the loving for that moment. And then all of a sudden, something happens and my body starts calling me back or my emotions or my mind or I find myself all of a sudden distracted. Now here I was, I was loving God and I'm receiving God's love and I can feel this moving through and then all of a sudden, oh, I'm over here, I'm over there. And I'm going, how did I get over there when here was God? And, and here I was in this loving place and now I'm over here thinking about my checkbook or about this or that. Well, that's just the nature of the beast. Don't judge it. And don't sit there and try to figure it out. And don't sit there and dwell on, okay, why are you here? What's going on here? Just say, God bless you. God loves you. And put yourself back on God. Bring yourself back to the original intention of being in love with God and letting God be in love with you. And live in the loving, live in the oneness. It's simplicity. Now, simplicity is a very wonderful thing to experience in the world. And I've had a lot of different reference points for simplicity in my life. And as I was sitting here in meditation, boy, I had an active meditation, didn't I? <laughs> but it was a good meditation. As I was sitting here and I said, well, What's my reference point? Because I'm always looking for a reference point. If I have a reference point for joy, for peace, for love, for gratitude, for simplicity, then all I have to do is go back to that reference point and it comes alive in my consciousness again and then I can hold to that. And so I said, well, where is my simplicity reference? What's, what's that? And I went back to when I was in seventh grade. I was in junior, junior high, now called middle school, I think. And I uh, was given the opportunity, for whatever reason, to work in the office at the, at the school. So I would, I would go in in the morning, I'd go in early, and I'd begin working in the office. And I had different things I had to do in the office every day, including answering the phone, including making announcements over the intercom, if there was something to announce uh, as homeroom started. And... So I had my morning and then I also had one other period where I also worked in the office for that time. I think it was about 45 minutes or so. And then I worked for another hour at the end of the day in the office that they needed me. And so that was my, my life. And it was, it, was, it was enjoyable, it was complex, but it was a lot of fun. And one of my, my things that I had to do, which was... was kind of a challenge at first was the school had a, uh, a new student and he was blind. And it was for me to show him through the school, show him where his classrooms were and help him learn his way around the school so that you know, he would know where the cafeteria was, he would know where his different classes were, he would know where this was and that was. And so the first thing I I did when I was told this, I turned to the teacher telling me that this was going to be my new assignment. And I said, well, how do I teach somebody blind how to find these different places? And they said, well, we've never had a blind student here before. We don't know. And that's something you're going to find out for us. And I went, yeah, right. Thanks a lot, you know. <laughs> so I met him. We sat down and talked. Uh, that first day when he came to school. And uh, so I began to, to tell him I was going to be showing him around and, and everything. And I kept fighting myself because I'm very visual. I've always talked about seeing and showing and, and all of that. And here's this, this guy who's blind and he doesn't see and he doesn't understand. Show me something. And uh, so it became a joke, you know, that he says, well, you'll see, I'll feel. And, and so that was the, the seeing and feeling group is what we called ourselves. We were the seers and the feelers. And so 
my my challenge was was to uh, get him to homeroom, show him from coming in from where he was uh, being dropped off, how to get into school, how to get to the homeroom, and then from homeroom to first and second and third and so forth, all of his different classes, different periods, where the lunchroom was and so on. And so he said, well, I, ha I have some tools. I know how, how to, to, to find my way around, but you just need to, to help me find my way around the first you know, few days and weeks. So I said, okay, I'll help you find your way around, and you teach me how you do it, how you find your way around. So what we would do is we'd meet an hour before school started for the first week every day, and I would meet him at the parking lot, and we would walk, and we would count all the steps, and we would count up the steps into the, the school, and we would count the steps that it took to the first turn, count again, and until we got to the, to the door of the homeroom, and then he would go on in the homeroom, and he would count to uh, so many steps and turn, and that would be his desk. And so we got all that down, so we could get to the homeroom. And then, after we got that down, and he was doing that without me having to, to you know, kind of walk or be concerned, I mean, he had his cane, so he was making his way around very easily. It was just counting the steps and not getting distracted. Then it was on to the first period and learning where that was. And I learned some very interesting things about feeling and, and how interesting it is to, to feel your way through space. And he could actually feel if a door was open. And so we made arrangements uh, for the route that he was going to walk that the uh, the door on his right side, all the classrooms on that side of the hall would always be open. And that the doorways on the left side would be closed as much as possible so that he, he would be aware more of the wind currents coming from his right side. This was in the beginning when we were, were first learning. And so that way he could count each doorway as he was going down the hall till he got to his class and then he would go in rather than trying to count steps. And the reason being was, and I didn't realize this until after we actually started doing the day, that after the bell rings, there's all these students running around all over the place, you know, and making noise and bumping into everybody and not paying attention to who's going down the hall, such as a blind man with his cane. And so he had to make his way through the crowd and never be aware of the air currents coming out the door. And so as he began to feel that, then we began to open up both sides of the door, even you know before class started, so he could begin to know his way through. And we did that because the doors varied, and he was able to focus more than on the right side and know that he needed to turn in there or he'd focus on the left side and count the doors and then turn into his left if he needed to do that for that classroom. Well, I learned about simplicity from this man. He could walk down a hall full of students, yelling and screaming and lockers slamming and people. I never realized how messy it is at a hall till I was with him trying to find our way through it. And yet he would just move through and move right on into the class and sit down. And so after we did this for six weeks, I said, how do you do this? How do you, do, how do you keep count? How do you stay from getting distracted by all this noise, all these students, people even talking to you? How do you do that? He says, I have uh, a purpose. My purpose is to get from this classroom to that classroom, to get from this seat to that seat, and that's all I'm thinking about. That's all I'm holding in my mind is to get there. Well, that's intention. He had a clear intention. I'm going to get to my next class, and nothing's getting in my way. Nobody's going to stop me. Nobody's going to call to me, and if they do, I'm not going to pay attention. I am just going to pay attention to what I need to pay attention to, to get where I'm going. And I thought, oh my God, that's getting to God. And he answered 
everything for me in that moment when he said that about what it is to meditate. I'm not going to let anything get in my way. I'm not going to let anybody talk to me and stop me on my journey. I'm not going to let anything distract me from getting to God. I'm going to get to God first. And what does it say in the Bible? But seek first the kingdom of heaven and all else will be given to you. And it really is true. Put God first. Seek God first. Find God first. And then all else will be given. And and I learned that from him. He would sit down in the classroom and then he would talk. He would talk to people if they wanted to talk. He would allow himself to get into conversation, into distraction of what was going on in the room, trying to pay attention to what was taking place. But until he sat down, his purpose was to get to that next class, to get through that door and to get in his seat. And that's what meditation is. And so that reference point, once again brought to me by Spirit tonight, gave me an understanding of simplicity and of intention. He called it purpose. I call it intention. Is to put God first and make that the place you're going to go and get to first. And once you get there, then... Whatever else happens, that's fine. But now you've got God. You know God. You're in that simplicity. Life was simple once he sat down in that chair. There was nothing else for him to do but wait until the teacher started talking. So then my next challenge with him came up. And that was that um, one of the things I did at school was I was the one who ran all the exams, all the tests for all the teachers. That's why I often stayed after school to run a test when nobody else was around that were going to be taking place the next day for certain teachers so nobody else would see the test. The only ones I didn't run were mine. My classes were tests were taking place. Then one of the secretaries ran those. And I guess they didn't want me to cheat. I don't know. <laughs> and so um, one of the things I had to do for him was to go in and to read. After school, we would sit down and I would read the test to him, and then he would answer and I would write them out. And he said, you know, this would be a lot simpler if I could just do this myself. And I said, well, how can you read this? And he says, well, I can't read this, but I can read Braille. If they would just get this into Braille, I could do it. Well, yeah, right, nobody knows how to do Braille in the school. And so guess who was the one who got volunteered. <laughs> and so he, t he brought his brailler from home, and he taught me how to type on the brailler. And so I started typing all of his tests for him in Braille so that he could then read it and type it out in Braille. Then I would read the Braille and, and write it out, and that got complicated. So then what he would do is, at the end of the exam, at the end of the day, he would go into one of the classes and read the answers to the teacher, and rather than me having to write it all out, which was a lot simpler. So in all of this, I learned about having to hold a focus because the letter A, the way we write it, doesn't look like the letter A when you type it. There's three keys you hold down, and then you have the letter A. The letter R is two keys. The letter S is three keys, but two, three other keys. And there's only, I think, eight keys all together on a brailler. I think it was eight. Yeah, eight. And then you just push certain keys down to get the letter that you want. And uh, so I had to learn how to focus and hold my intention, if you will, on getting the letters right. And it was so funny because sometimes I would get distracted and I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and one time I started writing out what I was thinking rather than writing out what I was supposed to be writing as an exam. So he said he was sitting in science class and he was reading the exam and typing out the answers as everybody else was writing. And he came to this one part. And all of a sudden, it was just like rambling on about all this stuff. You know, it wasn't a question, and it wasn't science. And he was going, 
what was Chimp thinking? What was he reading? You know? And so, you know, he couldn't take the test the rest of the way because it was like he didn't know what to do with, his, with, with all my rambling. So I, I learned I had to really pay attention and focus on what I was doing with that. And, um, and so there again, I learned simplicity. I learned just to hold a focus and to pay attention. And that is a key in meditation, is pay attention. Pay attention to what is taking place inside. Stay awake, stay alert, stay attentive, be aware. And a lot of times people go passive in their meditation. They just kind of sit back and they wait for something to happen. And they don't stay awake and attentive and aware of what is happening. And sometimes what is happening is nothingness. Sometimes what is happening is so simple, so quiet, so subtle, that if you don't pay attention, if you aren't aware, you're going to miss it. And so it is pay attention, be aware, be focused, and have intention in a focused way. And then you can begin to open up into the truth of meditation, the experience of meditation. So what if you don't do all of that? What if maybe you set an intention in the beginning and you hold that intention for three minutes and then all these other things kick in and start distracting you? And off you go in all these other journeys. Well, your soul has set an intention to get to God first. Now, all these other levels of yourself, the unconscious, the mind, the emotions, the, the, the creative imagination, the, the physical consciousness, it doesn't have an intention to get to God because they can't go to God. They really can't merge into God. They can't know God. They can't experience God the way the soul can because they didn't come from the, from the creation of, of God being, spirit being. They came from the physical realm. So it is the soul that is really setting the intention. And even if there is distraction at all these other levels while you're meditating, if you set an intention in the beginning to have experience with God, to love God, to be in loving with God, and to receive God's loving, the soul still experiences that intention. The soul is experiencing it even if you at this level are not aware of it. And that is something to pay attention to. And that's why we ask you to journal before meditation and after meditation. Before meditation, you journal and you set your intention. And it's a simple statement. My intention is God. My intention is being in the loving with God and receiving God's love. Whatever that might be, but it's always God. My intention is God. And then you sit down you meditate, you hold your focus on that intention, and then you go off on whatever that is, and you come back and you go, wow, nothing happened. I was kind of off in the world, and this happened and that happened. It was my mind, it was my emotions. I don't, I don't think I had a spiritual experience. And so what we ask you to do is in your journaling, even if this, nothing seems to have happened, write down in your journal something. Write down something. Write down, well, my mind was active today, or my emotions kicked up, or, or whatever. Write down what the experience was, what took place. And what you'll find is that as you're writing, as you begin to move into this new routine of doing that, the soul is also going to slip in and go, well, yeah, but there was also this. And all of a sudden you're going to be aware of these spiritual experiences you may never have been aware of if you hadn't given time and space for the spirit of you, the soul of you, to share with you what it also experienced while you at this level were distracted and caught up in other things and had other gods first. The soul said, yeah, but I had God first and this is what I experienced. Now, you may find that even when you sit down and journal and you go, well, this happened and that happened, but it doesn't seem to really be spiritually a focused event, you may find later on in the day that all of a sudden something just slips in, an awareness. Oh, my God, that's right. All these other things happened. And 
I ask you then to write it down. Make a note of it in some form so that when you get home, you can journal about that event, that experience. And keep those alive in your life, in your awareness. And the more you do this, the more you begin to wake up to your soul event, to the soul experience of your meditation each day. The more you begin to allow that part of your consciousness to come into these lower levels and be known. Now, it's interesting. The mind is the highest level of knowledge and experience that we have at the physical level. And the mind can comprehend and understand and put together all the things from the level of mind down. But from the level of mind up, it doesn't understand. It can't comprehend. The first level above the mind is the unconscious. But there's nothing there for the mind to know or do. So that's easy. The mind just goes, nothing. Nothing's there. Nothing's happening. Isn't that simple to know? I have all the knowledge of nothing. But then beyond that, when you get into the realms of soul and spirit, the mind can't understand, can't comprehend those experiences because it's beyond the mind. It's beyond its experience. The mind cannot go into soul. The mind cannot go into spirit. But the mind can go into the emotion. The mind can go into the creative imagination and into the physical experience and experience and understand and put together th those experiences into an understanding format. And so one thing that you'll experience, if you haven't already done so, is the mind trying to make sense of all these things. All of a sudden you bring back an experience and it's a wonderful experience, but it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And the mind goes, okay, well, we've got to make sense of this. It's got to have a meaning. What's the meaning here? You know, it's got to relate to my life somehow. What is it trying to tell me? Nothing. It's just saying, this is what we experienced. And just write down the experience. Don't try to make sense of it. But as you begin to allow yourself to do that, it begins to unfold. It's like a, a book unfolding before you of spiritual experience. Page by page it begins to unfold. Or it might be like a scroll and all of a sudden you're just unscrolling it and opening it up to more and more experience and knowing at that level of soul. But if you get caught up in the mind and you're ever tearing the experience apart trying to figure it out, guess what? You're going to tear it apart and it's going to lose its energy, it's going to lose its source, and you're, you're going to lose whatever that experience was about because you've just dispersed the energy back into the, to the nothingness of this world rather than keeping it in the wholeness that is in spirit. So journeying is a very important action in the process of the spiritual journey. And, and I know it sounds like one more thing you have to do. Well, you don't have to do it. But we invite you to do it. And those people that have heard this over and over and over and finally said, well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see what it's like. They're sharing back with us how journaling is serving them, how it is really assisting them in having memory of their spiritual journey and giving them their own journal, their own document of their spiritual journey. And it's wonderful when you get into the dry spirit, dry phases of your meditation, and you will. I can guarantee it. I mean, there's a guarantee. If there's no guarantee other than taxes, death, and a dry spill in your meditation, those are the three I can guarantee. It's nice to have that journal to go back to and reference to and go, oh, that's right. You know, this is real. I'm doing this for a purpose. Well, that's right. Intention, intention. I forgot to set an intention. And all of a sudden, you begin to find enthusiasm once again in your, in your meditation because you are looking back and you're remembering and you're bringing back the knowing of, of why you're doing this. And you're also setting your intention once again. I know when I don't set my intention before my meditation, 
I do all this other. I get caught up in all the other gods before the Lord. But if I set an intention on God first, then I always have a reference point. Oh, that's right, I'm sitting here for God. I'm going after God. Just like this gentleman who was blind, his goal, his purpose was to get to the next classroom. That's all he knew in that moment as he was walking down those halls. Well, I'm walking down the inner hall. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to get distracted by something and I'm going to forget, now what class am I going to go to? Well, what was that? What's the next period? Where is that room? And I watched him experience that a few times when all of a sudden he would get distracted and he would lose sight. And then he'd open up his notebook and he'd go down his list of classes until he found, he'd go, oh, that's right, that was with Mrs. Grossman last time, so this, the next class is this one. And that's how he found where he was supposed to go and then he'd have to figure out, though, where am I right now in this building? I don't know. And then sometimes he would have to say, can somebody show me how to get to this class or to this, this class number, or this classroom number? And somebody would then take him there because he had gotten distracted and didn't know where he was anymore. Well, that's what happens in our inner journey. We get distracted and then, where was I going? Where am I right now? Oh, how do I get there? I have no idea. So, as I sat here today and, and was looking in my meditation through all this, I realized what he taught me. He taught me so much. I mean, I don't think I taught him very much. I think he taught me a lot. And so, you know how they say, the blind man leading the blind? Well, I really think that there was a blind man leading this blind man. I learned a lot about how to make my way through life, how to make my way through my meditation to get where I wanted to go, by watching a man make his way through the world to get where he wanted to go. And so, in your meditation, hold the simplicity, keep it simple, have God first, and have no other gods before that Lord God of all creation. And when you get distracted by all those other Lord gods who call out to you, and they will, let it be okay and just bring your intention back to itself, which is the Lord God first. God first, God first, God first. And move in that direction. So those are the two words. Simple and journaling that came up for me during the week and then in my meditation tonight. So with that, I just want to open it up to any sharing or any questions. Maybe you have something you can share about your own journaling experience or something simple. Or you might want to ask a question. And we have our official microphone runner back in the back who's going to run the microphone, Chase. He's been biting the bit, I can tell. <laughs> Is the mic on? Uh, yes. Yep. So, Chase will bring the mic to you if you raise your hand, and we'll go from there. If you have a question or anything you'd like to share, want to take it to Vigil? Hello. Uh, I would like to ask a question. How does that, no simplicity, simplicity has been playing a big part of my life lately, and how would that pertain? to actual, my, the physical part. I want it in my physical life too. You know, it, it's, I'm not going to say it's been excessive. Well, I guess some people may think it is, but <laughs> to me it's not. I, I want to I want to find simplicity, not so much around. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, one, that's something I'm learning about again, is life simple at this level. Mm -hmm. And it's, for me, finding ways to put first things first. Um, I, if I'm not careful, I'll try to do ten different things all at once, trying to get them all done in a day, and then I get frustrated because I get none of them done. Or I might get almost one done, and the other nine sort of maybe touched on, and then I get angry with myself, or I get angry with the world, or whatever, or because... Me. 
Yeah, or him. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's myself and he's the world, you know. <laughs> he's the reason why I didn't get them all done. And, and so I, I find that if it's, it's easier for me to focus on just one thing and say I'm going to get this done first. And one area I'm really learning that is with emails. Um, I used to feel overwhelmed when I would open up my emails in the morning and there'd be 23, 25, 30 emails to answer from, you know, just appeared overnight. Where, who, who delivered these to me? Where'd they come from? <laughs> How'd they get my address? And, um, and I'd, I'd look at them and I'd go, oh my God. And I'd feel overwhelmed and I'd shut it all down going, I don't know where to start. I, don't, I, I can't answer all these today. And slowly I learned in this process of just do one. Just take care of one right now and then take care of one in the next moment when it's time inside of myself to do so. And so I just simplified it. And I made it okay for myself to not do them all right now. They don't, yeah, they all want their answer today. They all want it in this minute, but they're not going to get it right now. They're not going to get it today, maybe. They're going to get it when I get it done. And so they may wait a day, they may wait a week, they may wait whatever time, but I will get to that when I get to it and I make it okay that way. And so I found for myself, making it okay that I don't get everything done right now has helped me to move back into simplicity. The other thing I have found is that I get overwhelmed very easily when there's what seems to be a lot on my plate. Now, you know, you all may come over to my house and go, oh my God, this is a simple life. There's not that much on your plate. You should see my plate. It's a platter. You know, and it's not just a platter, but it's, it's a whole table full of platters. But for me, a plate full is a table full for others. It, it overwhelms me. So I have found not to focus on, on that which overwhelms me, but rather to put God in there, to put God on the plate, to put God in everything, and to let God guide me in what's first, what's next. And also to let myself know what do I really need to be doing. Sometimes there's a letter and it's just a sharing and I don't really need to say very much. But yet I feel responsible. Well, God, they wrote this long letter. I've got to write them back something long or I've got to give them more information. And then I realized that I don't have to do that. You know, that's just the God in them sharing with the God in me, and maybe the God in me doesn't have much to share, but thanks, that was really a very nice letter. Does that help a little bit? Yes, it does, and thanks a lot. Go ahead, Brian. No, I was going to say, um, to me, Jim answered on a daily level, but on another level, and I don't know if you're asking this, um, in a grander thing, like what are the things most important in my life type of simplicity because that's what came forward for me when you asked the question I remember the a few years ago one of the most simplest times in my life I had three main things in my life my job my meditation and just exercising I wasn't in any relationships and my life was you know least details ever in that so I just had three things you know I got up my meditation always is number one and I always do that first and then after that exercise my health was important and then just doing my job. And then after that, in the relaxation time, you know, it'd be kind of like free time, you know, whatever. So in a way, I kind of had my priority, my main priorities as the way I simplified in a way, rather than trying to do a lot of things. Because sure, I had other interests, but what were the main things that were most important at this time? And so I would just focus on that. And I found that as I placed truly the meditation first, or in other words, that was like me placing God first, because in my meditation, that is my intention, is God first. That as I actually did that, I would find the greater inner clarity of those things that really are most important for me. So it's like if you're making a list of priorities, well, how do I know what are my priorities? I always put meditation first, and then in that it become clear inside what are my, medi you know, my priorities. Just like Jim was talking about overwhelm, when we have all these interests, or you know, I've got job, family, my meditation, my own health, um, you know, relationships of any kind, I mean, it can be hobbies, you know, whatever it may be. You may have so many things, it's just overwhelming, and then you're not really doing 
the things you really want to do because you've got too many things. Your, your plates of platters, like Jim was saying. I just found that as I went into meditation, that helped me through meditation because just like Jim would describe, God is simple. Mm -hmm. That as I went to God, then the simplicity would just automatically come present inside of me. And through that simplicity, that flow, all of a sudden those things that really were important to me that may have been all out here like this, all of a sudden it's like the table turns vertical and all those things will sort out to what's really at the top of the list. And some of those things I found as it turned vertical, some of them would just drop away. And so I realized, my God, I don't even need these things. In fact, when I really look at it now, it really didn't even interest me. I was just doing it because that's what I used to do. Or I was doing it because somebody else wanted me to do it and it wasn't something I really wanted to do. So I was really trying to, you know, please somebody else rather than take care of myself. So I was overwhelmed. But again, that clarity came in that vertical alignment, if you will. I found through the meditation that it would filter through. And then truly, it was, you know, we, we use the word God's will. Mm -hmm. That's what I found was God's will, is that I placed God first. Then that loving spirit would sort through all the different levels within me and then bring about, bring about that prioritization of the things that I really needed to do. And as I found as I did that, as I did those things, as they became present in my awareness, is where I experienced my fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And that was the fulfillment I found was what I was really after, the fulfillment. And then as I did those things, my life became easier, more simple, and also much more joy-filled and more purposeful. I really, mm -hmm. you know, would feel on purpose and fulfilled in what I would do. And I'd realize sometimes when I'd talk to people, they go, was that all you're doing? I said, yep. And they, it seems so simple sometimes, but yet at the same time, I was more fulfilled because I wasn't chasing after everything, dispersing my energy everywhere. Hence, my meditations actually were easier and more focused because I didn't have all those things. All right. Thank you very much. Yes, I did yeah. answer. Yeah. There's a question way back in the back. you want to raise your hand again? No, remember, we don't let her have the microphone anymore. Oh, that's right. Oh, go ahead, Chase. <laughs> Chase, that's all right. We're just I teasing her. <laughs> just this one time, okay? <laughs> Good job, though, Chase. <laughs> is that where ego, I mean, is this like soul versus ego kind of? I mean, I'm beginning to look at all the businesses in my life, and I'm just saying, you know, that's, that's just all run by the ego. Soul doesn't. Know? Soul doesn't verse ego. And that's what, I mean, it's that phrase, soul versus ego, it's interesting because really, we'll use that as a comparison just so we can start to differentiate. So we come into the understanding of the ego and the understanding of the soul. So as we describe them separately, like one versus the other, it can help us to come to a sort of mental understanding. But really, that's just still the mind level. And that's, that's what I call more the horizontal plane. So that as we really want to really discover really to, in the inner knowing of really what is that that we're talking about when we say soul versus ego is that as we go into meditation, just like you hear Jim talking about intention, place that as your intention, awakening into your soul. And then as you do that, I'm just going to, I like using horizontal and vertical a lot. So to me, that's the vertical, that's at the top of the list. And so if I hold that focus here and I go towards that, I'll begin to awaken into the experience because truly the knowing comes through your experience of what that is. And as you awaken into the knowing of soul, then you'll really come into the knowing of what everything is. Again, like I said, the, the table turns vertical. To me, the soul always goes to the top and the ego is going to automatically come to the bottom. So it's important to place your intention. If your intention is to know what that is, you'll come into the knowing of soul. And in that, automatically, you'll know, believe me, you'll have had a lot of experiences to discover and learn what the ego is in the process. But truly, the soul does not verse or work against the ego. Really, the soul is completely accepting of the ego. So there's a key right there. If you're in complete acceptance, you know you're experiencing soul awareness. If you're, res if you're experiencing any resistance, judgment, whatever that may be, you know somehow the ego's in there. So we'll describe these things, but to really know that, it's just that intention and moving into that. Because the soul is all accepting. So the soul will accept the ego, not, not versus the ego. Does that make sense? I, I like playing with words in that way, because sometimes words really 
they line up in our consciousness a certain way and we'll begin to develop belief systems in thinking this or that. Mm -hmm. And that's still polarities, it's this or that. That's why I say, turn it so it's vertical. Mm -hmm. And then in that verticalness, it'll begin to automatically, if you can even take that picture of horizontal and put it vertical, just doing that within your own consciousness will actually, as a visual, begin to move your consciousness more into that alignment. So that way, in that alignment is what is God's will that can bring you into the inner knowing of that. And then you'll realize the acceptance of the soul, and then you'll begin to discover really what are those things of the world, which you're knowing. So that, I just wanted to say that right away. I don't even know if you, I gave you a chance to even ask your full question or anything. But I just felt that was important to kind of define that because it okay. can really make a difference in how you begin to, you know, move through that into more of the experience of soul consciousness. You know, the question is, what is ego? Most yeah. people use the word ego and they have no idea what ego really is. Mm -hmm. They have a sense of ego, but what is ego? I guess I was thinking of it more in terms of, of business. You know, I need to do this and this is more important than meditation and, you know, my meditation comes next and you know this is who I am all this busyness but actually that's not true well that statement of this is who I am at this level uh -huh. that is a component of the ego remember earlier I said that the mind is the highest level of knowing or experiencing of the physical realm because as you go above the mind you go into the unconscious of this realm of existence of the physical well the mind in a sense is the ego or the soul of this level of creation the soul is the experiencer in the realms of spirit and that experiencer in the realms of spirit that is soul is the divine spark of God is that that is God going into God's creation to experience but when God's component that soul comes into this level it doesn't have the capacity to experience in the realms of matter, so it takes on what is the matter uh, experiencer at this level, which is the mind. When the mind is left alone unto itself, it's a wonderful tool to use. But when the mind begins to believe itself to be all-powerful, all-knowing, and the base of everything, then what happens is it becomes the ego and it begins to be the driving force, the God of all things, the knowing, the trap that the soul gets caught up in. And that's the ego as far as I'm concerned, is the mind wrapping around the soul and entrapping it. And saying, now you're mine, you can't go anywhere, you're mine. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is we want to free ourselves of the mind. We want to free ourselves of that egoic control of the mind. And so we have to begin to come to that place of simplicity inside the soul that we are and just hold that simplicity. And as we hold that simplicity inside in the mind, we rise above that which is mind at this level, just as he's describing. All of a sudden we're no longer caught up in the horizontal. It turns and the, the soul goes back into its own nature and the mind goes back into its own nature and there's a separation of soul and mind. And at that point, the soul is then free to go back to the realms of spirit from which it came, while the mind continues to reside here. But we first have to hold to that simplicity so that things can shift in that way. Mm -hmm. is, is, that, that, is that where they came up with that commercial, let go my ego? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Chase, you want to get the mic and run it back up here? Right up here, Chase. You want to raise your hand? Um, I don't have so much of a question, but I just want to share with you some of the excitement I felt when I really heard t tonight about journaling and how that can help me on a daily basis. And what I was hearing was, I don't, in my journaling, I don't need to be looking at what the emotion was or what the mind chatter was during the day. What I need to be looking at or what I want to be focusing on that will really help me is 
to see where God, where I experience God during the day. He's there always, but you know, for instance, twice during the day, I was really aware of His presence with me today, twice in particular, and so in my journaling, what I want to do is begin to write down those times. And so I'm excited about what I heard tonight, and I, I, I see how it's going to encourage me to be writing in my journal more. Thank you. It's amazing when you do that. Then you all of a sudden begin to see God in more things. You know, have you ever, you know, driven down the street and not paid any attention to all the other cars, and then it's time to buy a new car, and so you decide to buy a Toyota. And then there's Toyotas everywhere. Oh, my God. Look at all the Toyotas on the road. It seems like that's all there is. And then you go and you check out a Volkswagen. And you go, wow, this is a nice car. And then the next day, it's Volkswagen. I don't see any Toyotas. It's just all these Volkswagens on the, car, on the road. They weren't here before. Where did they come from? It's where your, your attention is focused is what you're going to be aware of. So by writing down in your journal, even those two experiences of God, all of a sudden, that's now what you're going to be paying attention to. Well, where's God next in this day? Where, where's God? Is, is He going to come up next? Around around the door or where? And all of a sudden, there's more and more God everywhere just because you've made it more aware in your consciousness. You want to run it back over here? Yeah, Jim. One thing I noticed um, <clears throat> in my experience in setting intentions is a lot of times I used to first day I start meditating, I'd set the intention. I, I, I don't know if I heard it in this class or somewhere else, but I'd say, you know, my intention is to see God. Embedded in that intention was also all these expectations, and so <laughs> things would happen in the meditation that I would judge as not being what I'd set my intention towards. And so I think I had moved away from that only because, I don't know, it seemed like a balance to me. Sometimes just sitting down and saying, I'm releasing all my expectations and I'm just going to let whatever happens, happens and accept that. And all of a sudden there were these miracles. And, you know, whereas before I'd say, well, today my mind wandered, my knee hurt, I wasn't breathing right, so I didn't see God. All of a sudden it was like, whoa, I'm just loving my mind and I'm just loving my knee hurting and just loving you know, not breathing right, and all of a sudden there's all this richness in it. So I guess the question is for you, if you could maybe tell me how you balance those things of setting your sights for something, but then not getting locked into a way that you expect that to come forward for you. Well, it is easy to go into expectation, setting an intention or not. The moment you sit down, there's a part of you that is expecting something to happen is expecting a movement, a vision, or something. When you set an intention, it tends to open you up even more to expectation if you're not careful. And so it's learning to, to go past those expectations and realize those expectations are just like the voices of all these other gods before. The expectation can become a god. And it can begin to distract us from where we really want to go where you're really wanting to go is in the loving. So if you can just do the loving, be in the loving, and, and, and maybe not even set an intention as such, if that distracts you, then move in the loving, whatever that might be. The key is, is not to, to sit down in nothingness, which some people do in the meditation. It's always to go in with a focus, an awareness, a movement, and so by, by saying, I'm here loving God, this is my intention, this is my focus, this is my direction, this is what I'm doing now, whatever that might be, that would be a wording that would take you out of expectation and just into the doing. Because it's in the doing that you move into the experience of the being. But if we aren't in the action of doing, we may find that we do not go into the beingness as easily. There are more souls that get to liberation in a meditation that is active in doing in the right direction, in the right way, than those souls that sit in a passive meditation doing nothing, waiting for something to happen. There is 
one in a million, one in, a, in ten million that get uh, actual spiritual liberation or, or soul awareness by doing nothing but being silent in meditation. And, and yet all the others that are doing it get nowhere. They just go around in a circle. But those that set an intention or have a focus in the meditation of being active, being alert, be aware, be awake, and wake up, wake up more and more, they get to soul liberation much quicker and are aware that that's what they're doing. It's, it's helpful. Thank you. It's, I mean, one of the things I've done is like, <clears throat> if I say an intention, like, my intention today is to see the face of God, all of a sudden there's a part of me inside that goes, oh my God, I'm not ready for that, you know. So a lot of times I'll just say, my intention is today, Lord, to take me as high as I'm ready for. Right. You know, just whatever's for the highest good, take me to the highest level that I can see and experience. And then sometimes I will say intention of just simple things like, please help me not fall asleep, you know, or help me not, if something's been really just not working for a while, I'll just say, I'm not doing this well, so you just take over and do this for me. And that seems to help. What? Each of us have to find how that works for us. But that's good. That's that's a good statement. One one thing that I've done that's worked for me over the years is um, I'm coming home to you, God. Because then it's the doing. I'm coming home. It's not. It's like instead of going, it's coming. So it's like I'm returning. So even the wording, how it is like that, is different than going to. It's coming to. I'm coming home, God. And then I'm just a simple movement towards... And then that way there's no expectation other than I'm coming home. But I didn't say when or how or where or who with or why. I just said, I'm coming home, God. And then it's just the journey of now you're moving towards or moving into. It's really moving into. Because the other ways I phrase it is, I'm coming into you, God. I'm coming home to you, God. I'm coming into you. And so it was just a moving into. And then it was just, I would experience whatever it is that I would experience. That way there's no expectation. Actually, I didn't plan it that way. I've actually had that as an inner experience where my soul is just traveling. And then also right from my soul, I hear myself saying, I'm coming home to you, God. And so that's a phrase right out of spirit. And it was just a direct action of what was taking place. So really I was just acknowledging what was taking place. And so that's one that I, I quite often will sometimes use even now, you know, like an affirmation, if you will, or as an intention, where I have found there is no expectation, but yet it gives me one pointed intention, one pointed focus of my, where I'm coming into, is into God. And that way, that's why I've experienced it where there's no expectation. So experiment with it. And if you do build up expectations, it's part of the learning. It really is. It's all okay. Also, make your intention realistic, if you will. You know, God doesn't seem real in the sense of, oh my God, I'm going to see God or I'm going to get to God. You know, my intention has always been in sitting down and sharing my love with God and then being open to receive God's love and to be in that river of love. Uh, when we set an intention to see the face of God, that is almost, it, it, the mind goes, what? Nobody knows what the face of God looks like. So what if you see a face, do you know that that's God? I need to know that's God. So let's go look it up in the encyclopedia and see. Maybe it's in the dictionary under God. You know, how am I going to know? But if I sit down and say my intention is to, to share my love with God and to receive God's love, it doesn't set up expectation. It's a state of beingness. And then I just share my love with God. And when things come quiet, then I know I'm it's time now for me to open up and to receive God's love through the hearing of the sound, the seeing of the light, and then moving with that however it might be. Whether it comes in to me and fills me and moves things through me, or it lifts me up and out. But when we said, like, I'm going to see the face of God, that does create expectation. Oh my God, I'm going to see the face of God. Oh my God, how am I going to see the face of God? Oh my God, what does the face of God look like? You know, <laughs> that gets to be then a mind game that really can kick in. So the other things that you talked about in there 
weren't so much a mind thing as it was an experiential. So set your your intention towards experiencing God, being in God, loving God, and then then it's a different different process. Well, it's nine o'clock, so we'll bring it to a close. Well, this has been a wonderful evening. I hope you all have enjoyed it. It's been fun sharing with everybody, and we'll be here next Tuesday. And next Tuesday, I'll I'll bring something to share with you all that relates to that roomy poem, which I we're gonna bring to the room, and I think you'll really enjoy it. It's very exciting for me. <laughs> Thank you, Chase.